Good morning. We are in the book of Romans still. So you can turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Last week we talked about the beginning of chapter 7, verses 1, 2, and 3. One set forth a premise about the law and how the power of the law is going to be defeated. That's the subject of chapter 7. And then he began an illustration in verse 2, talking about a wife whose husband died, and she is free then to remarry. And again, it related to the law and grace. We went back to chapter 6 and saw how it started with law and grace. You're either under law or you're under grace. And it seems like, the Bible says, that the way you transfer from one to the other is by death. By death. So last week we talked about the law having authority over every non-believer. We talked about the law keeping every non-believer bound to sin. And then the law requires death to purchase a believer's freedom from the law. So it costs a death to get freedom. And then we talked about the law producing more sin in the world. Sin will produce more sin and more sin. So if the law is ruling this world, you'll have more sin. And then we talked about, finally, the law was fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ. So the new authority is grace for believers. So the husband seems to be the old self. The wife whose husband died, the widow, seems to be the new self. And there is freedom under grace, and there is sin under law. Uh, One pastor put it this way. He said, Romans 6 stresses the power of sin was broken when believers died with Christ. And now in Romans 7, the power of the law is also shattered through his death. So we will look at this morning how the law is defeated by death. Now again, whenever I do this, I give a warning This is talking about farming stuff. Farmers, save your emails in correcting me. I'm just reading it off the paper. Vineyards are very common in Israel. A young vine is not allowed to produce fruit for the first three years. It's always pruned back severely the first three years to make it stronger. When it's mature... It's pruned in December and January, and then it bears two types of branches once it's pruned. Branches with fruit and branches without fruit. The point of the illustration is, farmers, don't get sidetracked, that you want fruit. And sometimes it takes pruning to have fruit grow. And in Israel, that's the way they did it. So, Paul seems to go into an illustration using fruit this Sunday. He used marriage last Sunday, fruit this Sunday. 
there was a uh, pastor who talked about Christian personalities uh, being hidden. He said it's like uh, a waiter coming to deliver your soup on a tray. You know how waiters carry it up high? It always makes me nervous. But anyway, they carry the soup and you can't see the soup. Well, unless he trips, then you'll see the soup. But when it's on the tray, you don't see it until he delivers it to your table. When hard times come for believers, that's when our soup spills out. And that's when our fruit is seen by others. Now, chapter 7 here is going to talk about, continue to talk about the law and what the law brings into this world. Now, again, we have a consideration to make with the word law. Uh, I think most of the time when Paul uses it, it's talking about the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Uh, But there are times it seems like he's talking about any type of law, and especially in the hearts of the Gentiles, he said in chapter 2. They make a law to themselves with the decisions they make on how to live. And even that law they cannot keep. So, however you want to view the term law, he explains a little bit more about the law and what the law does. So here we go, verse 5. Verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. To bear fruit for death. The moral law of God gives what problems to the people of the world? What problems come when God delivers his moral law? Either by the Gentiles in their heart or by the written law given to the Jews. What happens? Let me go through this quickly because we're, we're almost redoing what we studied last week. Here we go. First thing, the moral law of God gives what problems to the people of the world? Number one, the law empowers the old sinful nature, our old sin nature. The law gives power to our old sin nature. That's why sometimes... There are people that come into a church and think they're a believer and then go out of the church and live like non-believers and sin and sin. And they think by coming to church that somehow doing that, keeping a law like coming to church, that they somehow appease God and are justified by them coming to church. But what it does, it makes them sin more. Every time they come to church, they hear a biblical sermon, hopefully, and they're convicted by the Word of God, and they say no to God. So actually coming to church, they're sinning against God. So, sin empowers the old nature. Look at the very first part of the verse. For while we were in the flesh, while the person is still under the authority of the law, Law works to in step with your old sin nature and produces more sin. More sin. So whenever you meet somebody and you're sharing your faith and they say, well, I'm a good person. That's exactly what it's talking about in this chapter. And you bring up the effect that 
Even what they think they are doing, they can't keep perfectly. They can't be good perfectly. And the law will produce more sin. The flesh is the natural state for a non-justified person. That's normally how they live. And a person under law can only operate in the control of the flesh, the sin nature. And they will do sinful things, even if they make up rules that they think would be good things to do. They'll even sin against that. And they will sin. Look at the, the next part of the verse. For they were in the flesh, the sinful passions, the sinful passions. Number two, what, the, the, what does the moral law give problems to the people of the world? Number two, the law produces evil cravings. The law produces evil cravings. What happens is the law will start a person by their sin nature wanting to do something else more sinful, and they will think about that and want to do that, and their desires will be over that. Ever done that? I thought about buying a Suburban one time. And you know what car I saw every block? It was a Suburban. Everywhere I went, I saw Suburbans. Why? Because my mind was set on Suburbans. Because I was thinking about buying one. Same thing with sin. It starts in your head. And the law causes you to think about a sinful thing, and you end up thinking about it, and you think about it, and you think about it, and eventually the temptation falls, and you give in to that sin, and you sin. The, the law produces evil cravings, sinful passions. That word passions used by Paul is always used in a negative way in Scripture. Passions that carry a person under the law into further and deeper sins. A non-justified person has no power to defeat a sinful passion. When you start thinking about a sinful passion, it will do nothing but take you further down that road. They have nothing to compete with that passion. And the law will produce sinful passions so that the world is more sinful than it was yesterday because of the passions of the world. Now, I don't think we have to use too much an example looking around our nation. We've seen how these sinful passions have gotten so bad that sinful passions now are considered a good thing. Am I wrong? Man. What used to be called evil is now called good. And it will, here you go, I'll encourage you, it'll get worse. It will get worse. Because passions build upon passions and it builds upon sinful actions. Guess what passion will do for you? It will never, ever, ever satisfy you. Non-believer says, if I have this, if I have this, if I take this, if I do this, I'll be happy. And whatever it is, they crave it, they crave it, they crave it, and they finally get it, and they're not satisfied. So notice the method. The method starts with the law. That law leads to sinful passions. Let's look at the third thing. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body. Were aroused by the law and at work in the members of our body. The moral law of God gives what problems to the people of the world? Number three, 
The law leads to sinful actions. The law leads to sinful actions. Once you know something is sinful, you think about it. By the way, we can go to the garden. Adam and Eve. (laughs) Eve saw the fruit, thought it was good to the eyes. She thought about it, and then she partaked. You think about it, you think about it, you think about it, and then eventually you give in to the sinful action. They're aroused. The, sin, the sinner becomes more of a sinner by the work of the law. The t- typical Jew in the, that day of Paul, when he wrote this, the typical Jew thought having the law kept you from sin. Paul says just the opposite. Keeping or trying to keep the law will make you sin more. By the law, the law cannot produce righteousness. The only thing that the law will do is produce more sin. So, if we made a rule, if we made a rule, let's say, well, you see, what did I do that one time? About two years ago, I talked about having a rule when you come through the back door, you have to spin around. Isn't that what I said? Yes, yeah, I remember that. So, let's say we make a rule. We have a little plaque out there at the top of the door that says you have to spin to come through the door. Okay? And we make it a rule. And we say you have to keep this rule in order to come in. And every visitor comes by will say, hey, you got to spin when you come through the door. And every time we come through the door, we spin. Guess what happens when we make rules like that? There will be someone that won't spin. And we just cause them by making a rule to sin more. Well, or either that, or we are sinning by spinning. But anyway, let's not go down that road. When we create something and make it a law, it will cause people to break that law. It will cause people to do the sinful actions. And notice it says we're at, they are at work in the members of our body. In other words, the law becomes part of us, and then our body, our actions take over, and we break that law, and we do that sinful thing. The method begins with the law, and it leads to passions, and then it leads to sinful actions. Fourth, fourth, verse five. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions are aroused by the law, and we're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. To bear fruit for death. What happens when the moral law is given by God? What problems does it create in the people in the world? Number four. Now, I'm, don't complain. I know some people complain about me getting wordy on my answers. I got wordy on the answers because I have to get wordy. Here you go. The law reaps a spiritual death. Then one day leads to a physical death. And then finally, it will lead you to an eternal death. After you stand before the great white throne. All three take place. And I think all three are meant when Paul uses the word death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's talking about a spiritual physical death, and he's talking about an eternal death. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, and that sin causes our passions to want that evil thing. 
And then when we want that evil thing, it leads us to evil actions. And when we do evil actions, we've gone against the character of God and we deserve punishment. And that punishment begins with a separation from God on this planet and then a physical death where our spirit leaves our body and then an eternal death after we stand before a judge named Jesus Christ. And we will be eternally dead, separated from God. The power of death cannot be defeated by a non-believer. It cannot be defeated by a believer. It cannot, uh, cannot be defeated by anybody except for Jesus Christ. And therefore, a relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ will save you from the penalty of death. So the method begins with the law, leads to passions, leads to a sinful action that results in death. That results in death. Now, that's a review. That's pretty much what verses 1 through 3 said last week. So we basically went over the same ground in a different way. But these things will occur without any work on our part. Because it takes place when somebody has a rule, either a good biblical rule, God's moral law, or whatever it is, or even trying to put up a sign telling people how fast to go on the road. We will break it. Because we will have a passion that will lead us to actions that eventually one day will lead us to a negative judgment before the judge. Sermon's not done. Okay? There is good news in this because Paul is comparing the law with grace. The law with grace. There's a difference between the law and there's a difference with grace. With grace. Let me just go... Let me review. We've covered this over the years. Yes, I'm going to give you the definition I don't like, but it's the only kind of good definition I have for grace. Here you go. Grace is the inward, invisible, superhuman, life-giving action of the Holy Spirit upon the soul of a sinner. Okay? I don't like that, but that's the best one I got. That's the best I can come up with. Grace is the inward, invisible, superhuman, life-giving action of the Holy Spirit upon the soul of a sinner. Grace is found 24 times in the book of Romans. So we'll talk about grace over and over again. Grace comes from three people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the fountain of all grace. All grace comes from God the Father. The channel or the piping to get that grace is through Jesus Christ. He's the channel. You get the grace from God the Father through the channel of Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is the giver of all that grace. So, grace comes from God the Father. Grace comes through God the Son. And grace is given to us by God the Holy Spirit. Now, grace is God's blessings from God to us. And it's something that we as sinners don't deserve. So it's a blessing based upon our sinfulness that we don't deserve. We don't, it's not a payment. 
It's not due to us. It's a gift from God. That grace comes to us as a blessing. And it's bestowed upon us and changes our life. God's sovereign blessing is given to those who deserve his wrath. God is not dependent upon anything outside the divine nature. Grace does not come from anything beyond the divine Godhead. Grace is from God. If it didn't come from God, it's not grace. If you somehow earn it, it's not grace. If you somehow do something and get paid for it, it's not grace. Grace comes from God. It's a blessing to you. The Bible says the way you get grace is by repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, he will enter into a state of grace. For instance, faith comes by grace. You have faith by the grace of God, Acts 18. Justification is by grace, Romans 3. Justification is by grace. Sanctification is by grace. So, and I could go through the whole list of all the theology that God does, and it comes from grace. I had a deacon one time leading a Bible study, and he said something. I said, what? And I made him say it again. He said this. He said, maximum blessing is grace. Maximum fruitfulness is grace. The maximum usefulness is grace. I said, stop. That's a better definition than the one I have. I wrote it down. Now, I got his permission to share it. Maximum blessing is grace. Maximum fruitfulness is grace. Maximum usefulness is grace. And that grace comes from God, and God allows us to use the things he gives us to have an effect on other people. We are an instrument of sharing grace with others. Here you go. This week, go out and share grace. And that's a very biblical command or encouragement. We are to share grace with others this week. So here we go. Let's look at the verses. I want you to look at verse 4. Now, I know we skipped to verse 5 to begin with, but I want to go back to verse 4. Verse 4 talks about grace. I wanted to start with the negative and go to the positive. Here we go. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. What benefit... Does grace give to the believer? What benefit does grace give to the believer? Number one, grace... For, now, okay, I'm not saying first thing, but one of the foundational things that grace does, one of the first things, one of the first ten things, there you go, that grace does in your life is, number one, crucifies the old sin nature. Grace crucifies the old sin nature. It crucifies you so that you are no longer under the power of the law. You, just like the husband in verse 2, the old self, in the illustration, died 
And like the widow, living widow, the new self is able to marry grace because the believer is no longer controlled by the power of the sin or law that she was under. The believer is able to stop breaking the law and producing fruit for death. That way of life is now done. He's died to it. Death has broken the law. He's been made to die a complete and final death. An heiress tense. He wrote, wrote it, heiress tense, a point in time. Once that point in time happened, when you are saved, that day you are saved, when you are saved, you are considered dead to the law. And you're free to marry grace. And it's passive. In other words, you cannot die to the law on your own. You cannot say, mm, I'm going to die to the law. No, you can't do it. It has to be done to you. It has to be done to you by God the Father. God the Father is the one who justifies you, and you, through his justification, are made dead to the law and alive to grace. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 says, for through, though the law, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. You have to die to the law so you can live to God. You have to die to the law and be joined to grace. The human effort to be morally perfect will never, never, never happen for the non-believer. The only way you can be free from the law is to die to the law and then you'll be free. The law is designed to bring up the knowledge of sin, not to save them from sin. You are saved through the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for every believer so that by faith they can die to the law and be free. Colossians 1.22 For now we've been reconciled you to his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. You can be holy and blameless beyond reproach by the death of Jesus Christ. Salvation's accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. Number two. So that you might be joined to another. So that you might be joined to another. Let me put it this way. Number two, what benefit comes does grace give to believers? Number two, benefit. Grace gives believers more grace. I couldn't think of any other way to put it. Because you are in grace, you receive more grace. The gift that keeps on going, okay? I don't know what commercial I heard that from. But you get, with the first taste of grace, when you are saved, you get more grace. Isn't God good? You get grace enough to be saved that makes you dead to the law and alive to grace. And then once you're alive to grace, God gives you more grace. Isn't that great? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. If God just gave you grace that day you accepted Christ, that would be enough. That would give you eternal reason to praise God. But God gives you more grace. Matter of fact, he gives you the next day, 
grace. And the day after that, grace. And the day after that, grace. Some of you have been alive a long time. You have a bountiful amount of grace. Enough grace that you will spend the next eternity praising God and never run out of things to praise Him for. Because God gives you more grace. God is gracious. He's joined you to grace. He could have left you with law, but He joined you to grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ joined you to grace. You are saved in grace. John chapter 1, verse 16 says, For of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Ah, that's good. You get more grace the next day you are alive. You wake up tomorrow, you have the expectation to experience more grace that day. Because you experienced grace to, today. And you experienced grace yesterday. You get more grace. Oh, come on, pastor, God's going to run out of grace. Nope. He never runs out of giving you blessings. Grace upon grace. When one supply of grace is exhausted, God opens another one. After receiving and believing, life consists after wave upon wave, grace upon grace. And it all comes from God who did a work on a cross so long ago that it's still producing grace today. Guess what? It will produce grace tomorrow. And each and every day. Here we go, number three. Therefore, my brethren, you also have been made dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. To him who was raised from the dead. What benefit does grace give to believers? Number three, grace gives positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Now, if you don't like that term, you come up with your own term and put it right there. But what it means is you are sanctified once and you are sanctified forever. That happens the day you are saved. You are declared set apart. You are declared holy. You are declared only for God. You are declared a servant of His, a servant of righteousness. You are sanctified. How do I know that? Because look at the verse. To him you were raised. Aorist tense, point in time. You were raised. You were raised when you identified yourself with Jesus Christ. When you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you were identified with him in his death, so you have freedom over the law, and then, what? It's, it's like one of those bad commercials. Those, the cell, you don't watch those. I watch those. You know what? And the worst ones are when there's a golf thing. But anyway, don't get me wrong. It, it is bad because they say, wait, there's more. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Wait, there's more. You get sanctification. Not only did Jesus Christ go to the cross and die and free you from the law, which if he did that alone, you would have all eternity to praise him for. But he did more. He rose from the grave. God the Father raised him from the grave. He was resurrected three days later. 
That's why we celebrate Easter. We was res- he was resurrected. He was alive. Alive? Alive after death. He was defeating death. He was alive. Not only do we get our sins taken care of by his death, and the law no longer our master, we are given grace, and then he goes beyond our expectation and gives us everlasting life. Do we have a good God? An everlasting life. Dying and raising are point-in-time events. It happens once. That dying and raising we associate with in our salvation. Therefore, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You don't have to be saved every week. Once you are saved. And with that salvation, you are positionally sanctified in relationship to God. Jesus Christ won the victory over the law. was not his final act. He went on and had victory over death and offers us eternal life. Not only does a believer die with Jesus Christ, but we are resurrected in a new life under the leadership of grace. <laughs> the first thing it seems like you get, no, not the first thing, one of the first thing, one of the foundational things you get at salvation is you get eternal life. Grace gives you eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they might live, no longer to live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on his, their behalf. In other words, Jesus died. And we live. And we no longer just live for ourselves, to please ourselves, or to to somehow be sinful and still go to heaven. We live to serve Jesus. We live. We have victory over death and sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ did not make Him the Son of God. It showed, declared, and revealed in a powerful way that He had always been the Son of God. Free from the dead. Literally means to be called out from the dead ones. The death of Jesus Christ is key to our justification and to our sanctification. We are alive. We technically are experiencing eternal life now because when we come to the point we are not spiritually dead like a non-believer, we won't experience physical death like a non-believer, we will transition from life here to life in heaven, and we will be (laughs) resurrected recreated, new creation, new, free from sin in the presence of sin, and we will live perfectly sanctified forever. And it began the day you heard the gospel message and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Number four. Number four. What benefits does grace give to believers? The end of verse four. For he who raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. In order we might bear fruit from God. Here we go, number four. Grace empowers the believer to produce progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification you have 
and you have it now and you have it forever. You have eternal life now as part of your life. You are eternal. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are alive. You are born again. You are new. But there are some things you get to grow in. And one of the things you get to grow in is producing fruit. And one of the things God does is he prunes us so that we produce more fruit. He prunes us. You know, the things that we go through sometimes and we kind of get upset at God for allowing them in our lives are the things he does so that we'll produce more fruit. But sometimes we're upset and we lose thought, we lose control, we lose our anger, and we complain about these things God brings into our lives when they are brought into our lives for the purpose of us producing more fruit. You ever go to a bad prayer meeting? A bad prayer meeting? When everybody shares a prayer request and all it is is a complaint against God? There's a complaining against God, complaining against God, complaining against God. Don't do that. Because those things that you're complaining about are the things God's bringing into your life so you can produce more fruit. It's the pruning action that God does. That we. Notice, by the way, he changes from you to we. He says, we might bear fruit. Bear fruit. The purpose of being under the authority of grace is for us to produce fruit for God. Every day, God wants you to produce fruit. And guess what? He wants more fruit tomorrow than he wants today from you. Fruit is written in an aorist tense. Again, it seems to be a continual state of being forever. You are to produce fruit. There is no retirement from producing fruit. You don't get vacation from producing fruit. You don't get time off. You don't get sick time from producing fruit. Every day we produce fruit. Fruit for God is positive holy actions of sanctification. Fruit is produced for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy actions of sanctification will, produce, will fulfill God's moral law. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Keep your finger in Romans 7. We're coming back. Go Romans 13. We'll probably be in Romans 13 in a couple weeks. I'm joking. We won't be there for another two years. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 8. I want you to notice this. It goes right with chapter 7. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the, what's it say? Law. You and I, when we've been saved, we've been given the eternal life, we've been given uh, the, the Holy Spirit as a seal to our inheritance. When we have that in our lives, we are to produce fruit. And we are producing fruit. And why are we producing fruit? How are we producing fruit? What are we producing? We're producing fulfillment of the law. In other words, the things that God's written about in his word, chapters 1 through 5, and for that matter, all the things in the beginning from Genesis to Revelation, all of it, we can fulfill. And by fulfilling what's in the word of God, the commands, we are giving fruit to God. In other words, when you read a command in the Bible, 
and you obey it, you've just produced fruit for God. And you did exactly what you're supposed to do. Let's continue reading for a moment. Verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled his, the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this, saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the what? The law. The law. Fruit that comes from a life of a believer is controlled by the Holy Spirit and fulfills the law. The God's moral law that he wants you to do this week can only be fulfilled if you actually understand love. And you love God because he saved you, he sanctified you, he's progressively working on your sanctification. You love him, and because you love him, you love others. And because when you love others, you're producing fruit that's acceptable to God. Turn to Galatians. Turn to Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. Kirby stole my thunder in the Sunday school hour. Here we go. I told him I was going to call him up. I'm not going to do that. What is the fruit of death? Look at verse 19, chapter 5. Verse 19, chapter 5. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Deeds of the flesh are evident. If you're under law, you do nothing but the deeds of the flesh, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbirth of anger, disputes, dissension, fractions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things, get this, get this, get this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those people under the law who do these things will end up not being allowed in the kingdom of God. Anybody who believes all people go to heaven, take under this verse. You do these things, you do not, you are not allowed in the kingdom of God. Notice verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A little different life. You understand? If you are joyful this week, you are producing fruit for God. If you're patient this week, you're producing fruit for God. If you're kind this week, you're producing fruit for God. If you're good this week, you're producing faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or are you producing the other things? Idolatry, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger. Which list is your list? If you're under the law, you got the first list. If you're under grace, you got the second list. Number five, here we go. Number five. What benefit does grace give to believers? Look at verse 6, Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound. There has to be a point in your life where you are free from the law, that you are bound to the law. You are 
released from the law. Number five, what benefit does grace give to believers? Grace gives freedom to the believer. You have freedom to the believer. You ever hear a non-believer talk about the Christians? You have all these rules. I don't want to be chained like that. I don't want to have that. I don't want to do... We are the free ones. The ones under the law, they're bound to the law. They're bound to sin. They're bound to producing death. They are the ones that do not have any freedom. You and I, who've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have freedom. We've been released from the law. The change happens to a sinner when he's released from the law. He is free and he's now given the Holy Spirit, and he can produce fruit for God. To be released literally means to be put out of business. To be put out of business. From the inside out by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in you and changes your desires. Changes your life. The law who's outside of you cannot do that. The law cannot change you from outside. You have to be changed from inside. The Holy Spirit comes inside, you have freedom, you're released from the power and the penalty and the power of the sin nature. You are free. Believers, freedom is produced spiritual fruit and please God, that's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Having died, Christ broke the punishment of the law and Christ fulfilled perfectly obedience to the law that the law demanded. So in him, I'm released from the law that had me bound. I'm out from under the law. Number six. Number six. Verse six. Now, we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. What benefit does grace give to believers? Number six. Grace gives the believer a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. A new relationship with the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, you are no longer controlled by law. You're controlled by grace. And one of the things grace gives you is it gives you a relationship with the Holy Spirit you did not have before. Before, the Holy Spirit was your judge, was your was controlling. But now... When you're saved, you have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. He empowers you and strengthens you and allows you to do things that produce fruit for God. You have a newness. I like the word serve there. The serve it should be translated literally slave. But it says serve. You are, when you accept Christ, you become a slave to grace. You are a slave that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are a bondservant. A bondservant is one who freely chooses to be a slave. You freely choose to be a slave of producing fruit for God. You, you serve in the newness of the Spirit. See the word newness? That's a funny word in English, but it's a compound word in Greek. Get this. I like this. The compound word comes out in two words. One, the first word means newness of quality. Newness of quality. So the quality is new. Second, 
newness of time. Newness of time. So your quality and newness is new. I love it. It's telling you, you, are, you may think you're new, but you're not new until you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, until you're under grace, until you've broken the bounds of law. You are new. Quality and time, you're new. Newness is a contrast to the oldness of the letter of the law. You are new compared to the law. And it's because of the Holy Spirit. This is the second time the Holy Spirit's come up in the book of Romans. It's going to be a lot more in chapter 8. It's the function of the Holy Spirit to work and operate upon within our hearts. It makes us new in our hearts. Believers are not weak and alone in His ability to produce fruit. God, under grace, the authority of grace, grace gives you an energy source of the Holy Spirit to produce fruit. The only way you can produce fruit is through the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Not the letter of the law. The law is no longer a demand from the outside. It's now a desire from the inside. The law. Isaiah 29, 13 is complaining about the Jews who are living under the law. Notice what it says. These people come near with me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. They don't worship correctly. Here you go. Will I understand how much better my life is with the grace of God and how people need to hear about the grace of God so I will each day love others with the grace as I bear fruit for God. Will I bear fruit for God? Will I understand how much better my life is with grace and how people need to hear about the grace of God so I will each day love others with the grace as I bear fruit for God? Now, ask me if producing fruit will be easy. Fruit will not be easy to produce. Because you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. But when you yield to the Holy Spirit, He makes changes in your life and produces fruit. There's a lady, Mildred Cable. Mildred, Mildred Cable. Uh, her desire as a young lady was to be a, a missionary in China. That is what she felt her call was by God. That God was moving her there. That God was teaching her there. She wanted to go to China. And she was going to go as a missionary. She was going to serve God in the mission field. And you know what happened? A man came into her life. A man came into her life. And she had a problem. Because the man, guess what he wanted to be? He wanted to be a pastor in America. Okay, that would be a good role, be a pastor's wife. That's not bad. It's tough, but it's not bad. You get overworked, but it's not bad. Pay's not good, but it's not bad. Okay, you could be a pastor's wife. You could do that. 
But she thought God was called her to the mission field. Guess what she did? She prayed about it. She prayed about it. She prayed about it. She prayed about it. One night, after praying, talking, weeping, she told the young man that she could not marry him. She went to China, and God gave her an extraordinary, just an outstanding career on the mission field and blessed her and blessed her and blessed her. Sometimes God calls us to do things that might be difficult, but when we do them and the power of the Holy Spirit, he produces much, much, much fruit. So this week, when you got decisions to make, don't necessarily pick the easy one. Pick the right one that will produce fruit for God. Do that, and God will be glorified, you'll produce fruit, and God will bless. You do the easy thing, you may be going down a wide road with a lot of other people in the wrong direction. Do what God wants you to do. Obey Him, because you're a bond servant to Him. You chose to serve Him. Serve Him. Serve Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that you would bless us with this word. Feed us with this word. Teach us, Father, all week. Help us, Father, to grow as we understand the grace wants us to produce fruit. Not for us, but for you. We want to produce fruit for you that brings you glory and honor because you deserve glory and honor. We thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live under the law, to fulfill the law, to die to the law, and then be resurrected, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you that by his life, we can trust in that life and be saved from the law and be saved from death and be saved to life. Thank you, Father, for working. Thank you, Father, for changing our lives. Help us, Father, as we progress in our sanctification, as we grow and produce more fruit. Help us never, Father, to be satisfied with the amount of fruit that we produce for you. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.